And so this was one of my most difficult moments as a human and one of my most difficult moments as a business person. But I have to say, I'm so, so grateful for it. That was a crucible that refined me. And I now have so much vision and confidence and frankly, success that I could not have even remotely dreamed of. I couldn't have even pictured it two years ago. Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. This is a community of women supporting women. Tune in every other Thursday to hear from SK Vaughn as she catches up with ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We will cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, thought leadership, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you are a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. Let's do this. Emily McIntyre is the CEO of Catalyst Trade, a dynamic coffee importing company specializing in Ethiopian coffee. She's a serial entrepreneur, a Q grader, and has been in the coffee industry for 13 years. On this episode, Emily opens up about overcoming barriers and tapping into her personal power. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, I'm so glad to have you. And so every time we start the episode with, how are you surviving and thriving this week? So while you're thinking through that, I'll kick us off. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. And so how am I surviving this week? Well, I will say it has been a crazy week, very long week, very fun week, but I am dragging a little bit, ready for a slow weekend. Very thankful that I have nothing planned. So I'm going to be a little bit of an introvert and not talk to people (laughs) this weekend. I'm very excited about this. Sometimes you just need time to rest and recharge. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then how am I thriving this week? Well, I'm just really excited about, oh my gosh, season two is going to be phenomenal for all you listeners Uh, out there. So many incredible, incredible women who are leading in their own unique ways in different industries. And this week has been chock full of just really great conversations. And so it's giving me new life, new energy, and I'm just so here for it and excited for this new season. Um, So what about you, Emily? How are you surviving and thriving? Great question. It's been quite a week requiring both. My daughter um, is recovering from COVID and was pretty much asymptomatic, but it's required me to work from home for the last two weeks, which is not my favorite thing at all. So I'm surviving by um, first thing when I wake up, going for a short ramble in the foggy Portland streets, getting a little fresh air is super nice and um, writing out a priority map to manage all the countless tasks that just don't stop coming. (laughs) On the thriving side, well, I have a Kung Fu test coming up in 15 days. So I'm trying Trying to really prep for that. And um, that is strenuous and lovely. And I also just accepted the gift of a piano for my living room, which will throw me back to my old days as a music teacher. And I'm just so excited to be able to make music on a real life piano again after almost a decade without one. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so exciting. Congrats on the piano. <laughs> what, will be, what will be your first song that you play? Oh, I'll be torn between improvising something or maybe pulling out one of my favorites of I love you know, the classics of Chopin and Mozart and Bach, all the old goodies for me. So I 
I don't know, probably have a, a moment while I try to decide. <laughs> <laughs> All the oldies, but the goodies. I love it. Yeah. And then you mentioned Kung Fu. That's exciting. I did not realize that you were training for that. Like, tell me more about that. Sure. I love to practice Kung Fu. I would not call myself um, really a typical athlete. I definitely think that my staying power is why I'm still training. So not quitting is my great Kung Fu (laughs) powers. I'm about five years in and I'm learning um, a South Asian kind of medley of arts influenced by Indonesian Pukulan. And I love it. It's athletic and demanding, and it the principles of Pukulan Kung Fu really bring me a lot of crossover in my daily life. Flow out and returning and different types of strikes I can use as a conversation or just to manage my stress levels at work. I love it. And I really adore my teacher, Masuru Gong, Janisa Cruze. She's been teaching martial arts in, fourth, in the Pacific Northwest since before I was born. <laughs> and um, she competed and won against men back when women and men were fighting separately. And she's just, she's a badass. And I, I really admire her. So I'm really gifted to get to train under her. Yeah. Wow. That's super cool. I love that. That's a fun fact. I was just sitting around a group of employees this week and they're like, what's a fun fact. And I'm sitting here like twiddling my thumbs, like I need more hobbies. (laughs) And you're over here being like a Kung Fu master. So that's really cool. I love that. Not a master. Definitely a student. (laughs) One day. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, from a hard beginning to a CEO of a global coffee importing company. Like, how did that come to be? Tell us all about it. Everything in my life that I love and that I appreciate is it feels an accident and I've stumbled into it. And I appreciate that so much. I was I grew up in Missouri in a Christian kind of cult. And it was honestly a pretty sweet childhood in the sense that it was tech-free. There was a lot of, I had a lot of hours just out in the field playing, um, a lot of hard work. And I became a piano teacher at the age of 13, kind of by accident, uh, and ended up spending the next 10 years teaching piano to an increasingly large private studio in Missouri. At 23, I couldn't really handle it anymore. I couldn't take the restriction, the hierarchy, and all of the pieces that came with it. Because of course, I basically put my life on hold, waiting for a husband, not really wanting a husband, but I thought it was my only path forward. So I stepped, kind of took an entire sidestep in randomly into food service. And that was a fun story, how it came to be. I took a summer internship at a YMCA summer camp in Colorado as a chaplain's assistant. Ultimately, it it wasn't the best fit for me there at the chaplain's assistancy, but nearby was a restaurant and they needed help. And so I just came in, uh, I think I was a line cook or something like that. And I quickly ended up managing or becoming a shift lead. And at that time, my manager said, hey, you know, you've got a great personality for coffee. And it was such a revelation to me that summer that I could do something other than music and church. I really didn't know that I could. And writing, I guess, has always been a thing for me. And so on her somewhat loose advice, I came back to Kansas City and started applying at every single coffee house I could find (laughs) and was really persistent. And a few months later, I landed my first barista job. And very long story short, 13 plus years later, um, I met my husband and business partner in coffee. We had a coffee child who's traveled with us um, all over the world, lived with us in Ethiopia. I have had the privilege of starting 
and closing or selling or even leading uh, successfully five different coffee businesses at different parts of the industry. And my current endeavor with my husband and business partner and our Ethiopian brother from another mother, Zeli, the three of us have Catalyst Trade. We are changing the way that Ethiopian coffee is traded. And we really believe that Ethiopian coffee is a great case study for the way that the rest of the world trades coffee. And so we see that the business model that we are developing here at Catalyst Trade as something that can, can and we intend to ultimately expand it to truly have a global impact. Our goal is to become the most influential coffee importing company in the world and to use that influence for the good. And it seems like a, a pretty big leap to go from being a piano teacher in rural Missouri to being the CEO of an international importing company. And yet the people skills and the care for relationships and education and making a difference, it's all the same. It's just a different application. Yeah, that's incredible. Like that's a really unique story. And I have to go back a little bit. So <laughs> please, <laughs> from a hard beginning, you know, you talk about this traditional, just really challenging childhood. So what were some personal and professional barriers that you had to overcome as you had transitioned away from essentially your childhood into adult Ooh. life? What are some things you kind of had to unlearn or unpack and deal with? Because I feel like as human beings, people don't really talk about this, but you know, I think a lot of your 20s, you're trying to unlearn certain behaviors or certain mm. situations and you're trying to figure out for yourself, okay, this is how right. I grew up, but how am I now? Like at this age, what do I believe? What do I stand right. for? And, and what am I not going to tolerate anymore? And so wow. I'd love to just kind of unpack that a little bit with you if you're open to it. I'm so open to that. And SK, that's insightful. I agree with you. And it's funny, I, in the year I was 23, over the course of just about six months, I think I packed what for most people would be the ages of 12 or 13 to 21. <laughs> I think I packed that all into six months. It was so intense. I had my first date. I had my first kiss. I had my first, I took my first decision without actually asking for advice from other people. I was 23 years old and I decided to take ice skating lessons and I didn't, I didn't follow my parents' lead or one of my church elders' lead or anyone else who had authority over me at the time. I did it myself. And that was a pivotal decision that changed everything for me. So at that time, you know, the age of 23, I really was unequipped to, to deal with how life worked in the big world. I also had this fear of the world that was really well instilled in me because of my religious upbringing. But I, I had a lot of curiosity. I've always been curious about how the world works. And so I do think I was able to speed up that very difficult learning process. I think one of my biggest pieces that I had to unlearn, actually, I just want to talk about boundaries. That's, that's it. And it extends in so many ways. I as many people growing up in an affectionate culture in the Midwest, in a church culture, and, you know, just really close communities, the concept of consent and, and boundaries, it's, it's often not discussed. And you don't always have the best examples. I did not realize that a boundary exists because other people violate it. <laughs> I had this concept that it was okay to have a boundary as long as the other person respected it and kind of applauded you for it. Like, nice boundary, Emily. Yeah, I definitely won't, you know, touch you inappropriately. I accept that. <laughs> no, although boundaries are there because people go over the edge of them and we have to defend ourselves. And unfortunately, it took me until I want to say I was about 32 
to really start getting that. So I had like a nine year window where suddenly everything I knew was out the window and I really struggled with the way that I interacted with the world. I was a musician, right? So even while I was working in coffee, I was still performing all over Missouri and the Midwest. I was a, a Celtic harpist and singer. And I would wear my corset and my plaid skirt and I'd go sit under a tree and sing or I would sing at weddings. And I, in retrospect, can see that I left music professionally really due to the pressure of all of these people who wanted parts of me. And I didn't know how to put boundaries in place with them. And then when I entered the dating scene, it extended to that. You know, I had a coworker who was hitting on me in a really inappropriate way. And I didn't know how to call that out because I lacked the language. And the decisions that I made to try to take control of that situation are not ones that I would make now. Although I absolutely support young Emily, she did her best. And then, you know, in professional settings, I really let the older guys in my life kind of set the path for me for a long time. I got lucky with a few of them. I really, really did. And then I didn't get lucky with a few of the others. And I have to say that my professional process and upbringing over the past years, since I was 23, I'm 37 now, so 14 years, has really been me discovering where Emily ends and where the world begins. And that I have a lot more agency at that line than I realized. I can say, no, I don't want to work with you because you're not respecting me. Or I don't care that you say that I'm being emotional. Genuinely, I, I don't respect the way that you're going about things. And so we're not going to do this together. That would be my biggest takeaway, I guess. There were a lot of barriers, but I think that just that lack of boundaries and then having to figure out the hard way that it's okay to have those boundaries. And in fact, we're better people if we feel safe and if we can make ourselves feel safe. I would say that's my biggest takeaway. Oh, that's powerful. <laughs> Very <laughs> powerful. I am really working on boundaries right now. And I will say I'm mm-hmm. not doing the best at setting them, but I'm reading a book called Boundaries, When to Say Yes and How to Say No. Oh, and yes. um, a mentor in my life, he's one of my bosses. He is the one who gave me this book. And I was like, I think you should really read this. And so this just really resonates with me right now because mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in, and trying to please everyone and, and being all things for all people at the expense of your own mental health, physical health, oh, oh everything gosh, else yes. in between. And so I think it's really refreshing to hear you say that because it's not an easy thing to do when you care so much about <laughs> making sure other people respect you or your yeah. boundaries. And so it's yeah. powerful. Yeah, really. It's a key, I think, to having happiness in life, quality of life is feeling that we own our own selves, agency, and those edges get squishy. And people are often either, I'm going, you know, generally you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. So you would say that they're unaware of the impact they have on you. That is not always the case. Sometimes it's just intentional and uncaring. But, you know, in general, people are really more focused on what they need and that that may conflict with what you need. And that is difficult to navigate, but essential to embrace the challenge and to get better at that skill, because I believe that it splashes over into every single area. I mean, I couldn't have led the negotiation for the buyout that I just closed for my company. And it was a tough negotiation over about a nine month period, hostile, several, you know, there were several times where it all went to hell in a handbasket. I couldn't have led that difficult negotiation if I hadn't put in the past 14 years of learning my own boundaries, what I'll tolerate. And what I can live with to get where I want to go, which is key for a woman in business, I think. Yes, definitely. 
So I know you've touched on this a little bit already, but for those who may not know, what is Catalyst Trade and what inspired you to create it? Thank you for asking. I love to talk about this beautiful dream child of mine and my partners. It's such a fun business. So Catalyst Trade is kind of like a fantasy land where I get to define the map. But in reality, um, Catalyst Trade is a coffee importing company that specializes in Ethiopian specialty coffee. We are sourcing directly with producers, making a lot of investment at origin and in our teams, both in Ethiopia and in the United States. And we work with coffee roasters throughout North America to provide them with the very best Ethiopian coffees. We are three leaders, myself, my life and business partner, Michael, the red bearded barista I fell in love with in 2008, and our business partner, Zeli from Ethiopia, who we began working with in 2013. And um, we are having a lot of success after some really intense years of building, struggle, and meaningful labor. It's very invigorating to see what's happening. In specialty coffee, there's this movement where you know, people want to make the world a better place through their purchases. So there's this direct tie between the money that's spent and the coffee that's purchased and the ethical implications of that. And unfortunately, you know, in general, companies tend to be pretty savvy to the marketing potential for that and not necessarily back up claims with reality. Here at Catalyst, we've spent years building the systems that allow us to keep our promises. We believe that that's what a good company is a company that is driven by core values and ours are sustainability or long-term thinking, excellence. We're basically doing everything as well as we can and always improving and innovation or constantly creating new ways to problem solve and try new things. And those values drive the way that we do relationships with coffee farmers and all of the key people in between and with roasters and the people that they serve, which are fabulous coffee consumers of North America. So that's what Catalyst is. Now, what inspired us to create it is kind of a long story and also a short story. I'll tell the short one. (laughs) 11 years ago, my partner, Michael, and I discovered that we were unexpectedly going to become parents. We weren't ready for this, we didn't think. And we were in paralysis for some time. But when we finally realized what how excited we were about this, we also realized that we had the opportunity to kind of let what was happening light a fire under our asses to do something with our lives beyond what we were doing, which was like, you know, I was sort of desultorily getting a degree. Michael was roasting. I was working as a barista. We were making music. We were happy, but there wasn't much global scale. And both of us really felt pulled in that direction. And so one night in Independence, Missouri, in our extended cab pickup truck, we sat and we said, here's what we want to do with our lives. We want to create something. We don't know what it looks like yet, but we want to create something that will actually have an, a, a measurable impact on the lives of coffee producers in a positive way. Not in a colonial white savior, like we've got all the answers way, but in a genuine learning and mutual risk, mutual reward way. And we want our daughter, or at the time we were calling her Lily or little alien. We didn't know what her gender would be. We wanted her to grow up with this bigger perspective. We were two Midwest kids and neither of us had been outside of North America at the time. And we were so hungry for bigger skies. And that's what we wanted for her. And so fast forward 11 years, and that's what Catalyst Trade is. That's how we were inspired to create it. We've had many false starts along the way, many expensive learning experiences, and every ounce of it was worthwhile. 
I love what I'm doing. I love who I'm doing it with. And I know that what I'm doing is making the world a better place. Wow. That's amazing. It's really cool to hear an idea from when it first originated to where it is now. Hey friends, have you heard about Lush? Do you care about the types of products you are using every single day on your skin? A lot of cosmetic companies avoid this topic in fear of being found out. Lush believes in making effective products from fresh organic fruit and vegetables, the finest essential oils and safe synthetics. I recently received a gift set from a family member and absolutely loved the overall experience. Let's make self-care a priority this year. Treat yourself and buy your next bath bomb, bubble bar, or body scrub from Lush online or in stores. Check out our show notes for more information. In hearing all of that, why do you feel so passionate about creating a company that really serves as a case study for the entire global chain? Like what's wrong with the existing global chain? What's (laughs) the need to fix it and to make it? I mean, I could go on all day about that. But in a nutshell, the existing global supply chain Well, you know, it depends on your personal perspective, what you might say is wrong with it. Some people are like, logistics are wrong with it. Price gouging is what's wrong with it. I tend to say colonialism is what's wrong with it. (laughs) And capitalism at its toxic level is what's wrong with it. And so we have increasing levels of exploitation the further down the chain you go from the end consumer. And coffee producers are ripping up their coffee trees because it's not sustainable. And they're, they're stuck. Many coffee suppliers are stuck in debt cycles and they don't have the right buyers to support them for longevity. Their children are leaving coffee and going and doing other things. Or they're ripping up their coffee trees and putting in beans or in Ethiopia, chat, which is a mild stimulant that is much easier to grow and way more profitable than coffee. And so there's a lot wrong with the existing global supply chain. And I personally think that it all comes back to money and respect and the way that those are employed throughout the supply chain. So yeah, we've got to fix this or else we won't have coffee in 20 years. If we do have coffee in 20 years, it's going to be the equivalent of slave labor coffee. And that's wrong. It's wrong ethically. And so we have to do something better. And, you know, this is us doing our part. Yeah, no, I have to agree. So you mainly source from Ethiopia, known as the Mecca of coffee, uh, which is really where it all originated from, right? So how have recent events in Ethiopia affected your business and the overall uh, strategy, but also the supply chain? Oh, it's such a good question. My co-founders and I just held an internationally attended virtual event talking about exactly that question. And for an hour and a half, uh, we answered basic nutshells of those questions. So let's see how to say this in two minutes. Yes, we source from the birthplace of coffee, the misty mountains of Ethiopia, where coffee grows spontaneously and gloriously. And there's a genetic cornucopia of coffee. (laughs) Wow. How? So for those of you who are listening and haven't been following Ethiopian current events, there is currently a civil war between the TPLF and the Ethiopian National Party. We at Catalyst try to be as apolitical as possible. We support anybody who's doing their best ethically with other people, (laughs) regardless of their affiliations. But what we're seeing is that this upheaval is causing a lot of economic and logistical challenges. Now, coffee is not grown in Northern Ethiopia where this conflict is. So the effects are a little more indirect. But as well, there is a global supply shortage of coffee. It's expected to be really substantial. 
2022. I think the latest estimate I read was something like 2.7 million bags of coffee. And that's driven a lot by problems with Brazil's harvest this year, this last year. Just to put that in perspective, that is over three times the annual export of Ethiopian coffee. <laughs> so we're just talking about this huge shortfall globally for coffee companies needing to source coffee. That's driving prices up a lot. And of course, logistics are costing more. It used to cost me 2,500 bucks to ship a 20 foot dry container of coffee, about 40,000 pounds from the port of Djibouti to the port of New Jersey. And now it's more like 5,500. And I, I really am not holding my breath for it to go down or even stay in that spot for very long. So we've had to adapt our business and also take extra care in the supply chain um, in two ways although there are many others, I just want to talk about two. One way we've adapted our business is we are increasing our prices significantly this year. We're doing that because our prices, our costs have increased so much. And we're actually in support of this because the majority of those increases are going straight through to the farmers in Ethiopia this year. That's a positive thing. But what we're doing as a company, and I think this is really important for anyone who is pondering raising their prices significantly, is we are stepping back and we're looking at the value that we're bringing for what we're charging. Catalyst has always had great coffees, right? And we've always had a really good story and we're well-intended. So that goes really far. But what do our customers need in, in addition to that? And so we're beginning to host events that bring together parties who may not have been able to, do, to talk freely before. So for example, at the end of February, I'm hosting a virtual panel, which will discuss a survey that I'm putting out to try to get a snapshot for North American roasters, exactly how they're responding to price increases. And this is info that people don't have really with each other because they're competitors. And so we're positioning Catalyst as more of a solution or at least a clearinghouse for information. We're upping our game too with a lot of other things like sample preparation, branding, our storytelling at Origin. I'm hiring an Ethiopian photographer and videographer for the first time instead of doing all of that documentation myself. So yeah, that's one way we're responding to that. And I forgot my second answer. So we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible though. And congrats on all the big changes that are happening. You know, sometimes you kind of have to ebb and flow with the way things are happening, so but it sounds true. like you're really getting creative and kind of scrappy and resourceful in a lot of the tactics that you're making right now. Thank you. So throughout your entire entrepreneurial journey, tell us about a time where you overcame either gender bias or maybe business dynamics. And how did you allow to grow through that situation? I have so many stories to tell, but there's one story in particular that I want to tell. October, 2019, I'm sitting at my desk in inner port, Southeast Portland. And I'm looking at the Mount, Mount Hood through my window. And really it's the view of Mount Hood that's keeping me in my body because what's happening is my investor is telling me that I need to quit the company. He wants to kick me out and replace me with some random dude. He doesn't care who. And the reason this is happening is because his company as a supplier to my company made a mistake and we were hacked or their company was hacked. And we lost $168,000 to Ukrainian cyber criminals. And I had just told him that because his company had been hacked and not ours, I thought that his company should share the burden. And his anger was so intense. And this, the narrative had gotten so twisted so that he believed that I was at fault for that entire thing. I walked away from that moment realizing this was a moment where I could I could let this toxic relationship 
pushed me out of my own company where I realized suddenly all in a one rush, I was using the title of general manager, right? I was a founder and the general manager at the time. And I realized that all I was doing was just managing everyone else's expectations. And women do that really well. And, and we do it instinctively often because many women like me are successful by pleasing other people with power. And so, you know, it makes sense. But I couldn't sustain that any longer. That moment was a walkaway moment for me. And I realized my other option was this. I could use the title of CEO that I had been granted during the founding of our company. And I could choose to become a visionary leader who could resource my company appropriately and stand against this individual because nobody else had a problem with me. I was doing a great job. He just had a problem with me because I was a woman and he didn't like what I was telling him. I wouldn't be his puppet. And so that's what happened. I realized that one of the biggest pieces that we were lacking as a company was the ability to, to grow financially. We had a certain amount of cash flow and we were kept to a 10 or 15% annual growth due to that cash flow. And so I began to, I didn't know much about financing. I didn't really know the questions to ask. And I was terrified, frankly, and kind of ashamed of my lack of knowledge. I was ashamed of how far I had to come as a leader and in resourcing my company as well. And it really was scary, but I embraced that challenge and I began to ask questions and I began to ask for references and referrals and networking and asking people if I could have half an hour to learn from them and trying to be really grateful and reciprocate. And fast forward another two years almost, and the relationship with this investor has gone significantly downhill. Oh my God, it was terrible. And December 22nd, 20, 19, uh, 2021. So I love these days or these numbers, one, two, 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 one. It was an incredible day. I closed a $1.8 million leveraged buyout of this investor and became the majority owner of my own company. Along the way, I reclaimed my soul <laughs> from this person. I was no longer afraid of him. I could not be condescended to or pushed into a corner. I was persistent and I learned as much as I could about negotiating. And I also learned that there was no way to please him. And so I needed to stop trying. And so this was one of my most difficult moments as a human and one of my most difficult moments as a business person. But I have to say, I'm so, so grateful for it. That was a crucible that refined me. And I now have so much vision and confidence and frankly, success that I could not have even remotely dreamed of. I couldn't have even pictured it two years ago, a little over two years ago. There's my, one of my stories about oh. gender bias and business dynamics and growth resulting from it. Good for you. Like that, that whole story, <laughs> I'm just like speechless because I can, I just resonate with that because I feel like finances, I think at least I can speak for myself, freak me out a little bit at times. So I don't know all the jargon and the right questions to ask. And right. so that sometimes you can feel paralyzed in that. And it's incredible that you found a lot of resourcefulness in a moment, you know, where you, you've needed that clarity. And I think that, you know, it's important to seek opportunity in every challenge. And I'm glad that you kicked that yeah. guy out because it sounds like <laughs> you're better off without him. Very much so. Thank you so much, SK. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of financing, how are you using this experience to help others with financing? You know, what have you learned along the way? Wow. So this last week, I've spent 
I've been quarantining, right, with my daughter, and I've had some time to think. And I've realized that what I want to do is to begin sharing with other women of small to medium-sized enterprises, or even, you know, self-employed people, how to break down these barriers around commercial financing. I was given access to people partly because I knocked on a lot of doors and partly because I am lucky enough to be in Portland, where there are some really great communities supporting female entrepreneurs. And the particular one I want to shout out to is called Accelerate um, with executive director Amy Germain at the moment. And one of my best friends, Amanda, was a founding member of what became Accelerate and she brought me in. And I was just lucky enough to be in the room when conversations were happening and then to follow up and ask for, for, hey, would you refer me or just introduce me to this person? And Amy and her community are transforming access to finance here in the, the micro community of Portland. And I think that it can be done everywhere. And I want to, because globally, I read a statistic yesterday saying that 70% of female entrepreneurs around the world either have no access to financing or they're under, they, they're under-resourced. And two, only 2.4% of venture capital is given to female businesses. And a lot of this is because women tend to have more innovative business ideas that don't exactly fall along the uh, grow it fast, get rich quick idea that investors like to see. And also there is a strong mindset barrier, um, self-efficacy, where we sometimes don't realize what we need to do to present ourselves as bankable. I had to learn the hard way and with some tough advice that was given to me that I incorporated, how to go from talking about my company and being like, it's so great, I need money. <laughs> and that was me being brave, right? To me saying, here are our revenues. Here's our profit margin. Here's what we did 2019, 2020. Here's 2021. Here are my plans for 2022. Here's what I need. And here are the, here's the collateral that I have to secure that. Here's what I'm asking you. Can we talk about this? And there's that, that knowledge piece is just, I think, so far away from so many women, but so easy to learn. Really, we women, we are masters of learning on the fly, incorporating advice, asking when we don't know. And I think that the next wave of female entrepreneurism has to be, and I want to be part of pushing it to be, a wave of women who take this and turn it into hard cash. We are unafraid to ask for help and we are unafraid to package ourselves in such a way that we can be helped. Now, there are many other factors here, but long story short, I am launching a program I'm calling Fearless Financing. It's so new that I'm going to mention it here and tell you I just secured the URL, but the website's still at Squarespace and unfinished, but fearlessfinancing.net. And I am going to be speaking on podcasts and, and working with groups of women to help them figure out how to become more bankable. I have a book proposal that I'm writing, and I'm also staging a lot of listening sessions. I just want to learn more about what other women are facing when it comes to commercial finance, blockages, wish lists, and practical tools how to get from point A to point X intentionally without running out of money, which is what a business needs really to fuel it for growth. Wow. That's incredible. You have been very busy since we last spoke. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Yes. I, I think my enforced stasis of, you know, graduating high school from homeschooling at 17 and then for six years, just being stuck in limbo. I think it has me you know, iterating much faster than most people. I tend to cram several years into one and that's fine. I love it. No, I'm excited. I can't wait to follow along and hopefully learn some new things because I'm all ears. So 
a good, great job. Okay. And I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thank you, SK. I am excited and I welcome any listener here who would be interested in being part of the beta program or sharing with me your challenges around commercial financing or your successes or any tools that you were able to use, um, please reach out to me. I would very much like to talk with you as I'm building this program. It has to be about all of us, not just one person or one perspective. Sure. So what is the worst piece of advice you have been given throughout (laughs) all of your years? I had a guy who was a client of mine tell me that the best thing for my family was to keep working with him. And this was when I was telling him that I was talking with recruiters to go over to Nike and work there. You know, I'm in Portland. That's like the other option (laughs) for people who do knowledge work like I have. And his response was to scoff and say, Emily, Nike won't ever hire you. And this is the best you can do. So just, you know, don't ditch the thing you've got. And it was really some of the best advice, worst advice, I'm sorry, worst advice I'd ever had. This is the guy who I asked to mentor me to become the general manager of of the company when he needed somebody to replace him. And he didn't even answer me. His response was, and so we're going to need to source an external and implied male general manager. So this is the person whose business is now like, it's well, it's defunct, but also my partners and I have grown Catalyst Trade like three or four times bigger in just a few years than his ever was. So, you know, his advice was self-serving. And I think that he's just an example. So many people will give advice. And if they're in a position of authority, it's easy to listen and take it seriously. We always have to weigh it against what works for ourselves. I'm very glad that I didn't really listen to his advice at that point. I just kind of said, oh, wow, for the first time I can see how self-serving you are, I'd better make myself an escape route. The escape route became Catalyst Trade. (laughs) The light bulb moment right there. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So when you look back on your life, when it's all said and done, what do you hope you have accomplished when you look back? Ooh, I would really like to have been a good wife and mom. (laughs) Those are my husband and my daughter are the two people I just want to be great for. And I would like to look back and see that I've enjoyed my life. And I feel that I've left my daughter in a better position than I was for, for tackling life and being able to give back to the world. I kind of go back and forth between this very strong sense of I'm going to change the world and I hope that I have another 40 years to do it. And thinking that what I'm doing is like scratching on the surface and, and it doesn't matter that much. So I guess when I look back at my life, I would like to feel I've done my best. That's it. That's all I can do. I like that answer. That's a good answer. Personal best. I think that's an important Took me a minute to get there, but yeah, that's my answer. (laughs) No, I love that. So what's next for yourself and for Catalyst Trade? Next for me, after I pass this Kung Fu test, is I think launching Fearless Financing and continuing to grow Catalyst. And I think I'm going to explore getting back into performing music. So I'm pretty excited about that. Next for Catalyst Trade is so much, I hardly even know what to say, but for sure this year, branching out, growing in new areas and really coming to the forefront of the industry. After many, many years of preparation, we're here. We're taking up space and I believe increasingly doing what we want to do, which is driving conversation um, in the specialty coffee industry and for coffee consumers in the right direction. So that's what's next for us. We are about to start 
approving and shipping a bunch of beautiful Ethiopian coffee. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And I think we're going to be moving our offices. I have a laundry list, you know, it's going to be a good year. Yes, I love it. So last but not least, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. I love everyone's just diverse (laughs) answers. I think it's an important question to ask and it's different for everyone. So how do you define success for yourself? SK, I have tried to define this for years and every time my answer is different. So I'll give you today's answer. (laughs) Today's answer is that um, success for me is defined as achieving personal freedom and quality of life while helping other people. And to turn that into harder metrics, I want to continue on the path of personal and professional wealth building so that I am able to be generous with everyone in my life and myself. And I want the work that I do to continue to be of importance to others, to really add value to the world. And I I think a piece I'm still working on that I would put in that definition of success would be enjoying the work. So there's a very long answer for you. (laughs) It is a lifelong question for me. I have not been successful in properly defining personal success. Maybe (laughs) when I hit some magical wise woman age of 50 or 55. There you go. Well, I thought that was beautifully said. And I think it changes depending on the day for a lot of people in different seasons. So I thought that was beautifully said. And I think that is incredible. So now it's time for the leading ladies we love rapid fire game. Get excited. So this is a game. Okay, okay. This is a game uh, where I will say an adjective and I want you to shout out the first lady that comes to mind. So this is all about supporting other women and lifting them up. So are you ready for this? I am. Can I say why I'm saying that person too? Yes, like a quick sentence. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Yep. So ready? are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. So the first word is bold. My mom, Leslie Wyatt. She's incredible and always trying new things. This lady got three ribs broken in karate at the age of, I I forget how old she is. She's in her 60s, I think. She is so bold and fierce. All right, next word is resilient. My daughter, Era, who has been stuck at home with COVID, no symptoms, just testing positive for the last two weeks over her 10th birthday and she has been mature and present and resilient she's awesome oh wow that's hard to be quarantined at home on your birthday your 10th right (laughs) very resilient next word is leader carly fiorina i've been reading her um biography tough choices and i'm just very impressed with her leadership and a tough time in feminism next word is compassionate mary center Walla Walla Coffee, a beloved customer and friend. Um, And then last but not least is an advocate. Amy Germain, Executive Director of Accelerate here in Portland. She's helping women of all backgrounds get access to cash and grow their businesses in a modern way. Nice. Well, that is the end of the Leading Ladies We Love Rapid Fire game. Great job. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Before we go, please tell our listeners, how can they follow you? How can they continue to listen in? What's your shameless plug? Uh, My shameless plug is, first of all, thank you for listening so much. And if you want to find me, uh, my coffee company, Catalyst Trade, is on Instagram at at Catalyst Trade. 
Um, and our website is catalyst-trade.com. If you're interested in being a part of my next endeavor for women, Fearless Financing, check me out at fearlessfinancing.net. I don't even have any social handles or anything at the moment, but you could definitely find them then. And I would love to hear from you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Emily. It has been such a joy getting to hear from you, getting to talk with you and connect. I know this is just the beginning and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, SK. I so enjoyed being here with you and your listeners, and I hope that you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ladies Who Lead podcast. Looking for another way to engage with the Ladies Who Lead podcast? Check out our Instagrams and our show notes at the Ladies Who Lead. And don't forget to check out our website, www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.